Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to Revelation chapter 14. We're looking at verses 14 through 20, finishing up that chapter. Revelation 14, 14 through 20. Allow me to read this. Now I looked and behold a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who, who has power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth, and they and, and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridle for a distance of 200 miles. That's pretty gross sounding, isn't it? But that's what's going to take place. So let's look and do just a brief uh, review. Last week we witnessed three angels. Now if you haven't noticed yet, Revelation is full of angels. And they're real and they are active parts of God's ministry. And they will take a tremendous active part in Revelation. Last week we witnessed three angels and they were sharing declarations to the people on earth and they shared three different messages. The first one shared a message of hope that, you know, Jesus is there for you. Second one was a message of warning, what would take place if you rejected the gospel message. And the third was a message of destruction and judgment is near. And so now we're going to see a glimpse of the coming judgment when Jesus returns to judge the people on the earth. And this brief glimpse uh, should be all that would be needed for anybody to realize, hey, we need to we need to repent. We need to turn. But unfortunately, by this point, uh, when the second half of the tribulation comes, there will be some who will come to salvation, obviously, because. Uh, We see the evidence of them, uh, the martyrs at the throne of God. But at the same time, many will have hardened their hearts. Many will have taken uh, the the mark of the beast. And for them, it's too late. So we look at the first part of verse 14. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. Now, clouds are used often in the scriptures. And basically, they most often represent the presence of God's glory. And we see this uh, all the way back in Exodus, uh, where the, the Israelites followed a pillar of fire uh, at night, a pillar of cloud by day, which led them uh, out, of the, out of their bondage, out of Egypt. And then later on we see the, the cloud when God 
instructed the Israelites to build a tabernacle that they carried with them in the wilderness uh, when they dedicated the tabernacle. A cloud which represented the Shekinah glory of God entered into the tabernacle. Then later when the temple was built in Jerusalem, the same thing took place. Then if you go into the New Testament, at the time of transfiguration, uh, you know, three of the disciples went up on the hillside with Jesus and Jesus ascended further and a cloud covered the top of the mountain and uh, they heard Jesus and, they, and so this again represents the presence of the glory of God. And then at Jesus' ascension, it says that Jesus rose up and ascended into the cloud and so we see that. And Jesus even quoted Daniel about the, his coming again. So there will be a time where he will come again on a cloud. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 says, I kept looking in the, light, in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Then in Mark chapter 13, 26, he says, then they will see the Son of Man come in the clouds with great power and glory. So just as he ascended, ascended into heaven uh, in the cloud, he will one day come again in the cloud. Now, as we've shared many times before, Revelation is not chronological. What we're dealing with here is basically a picture of the end of, of the tribulation. So we see the second part of verse 14 says, And sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. So let's kind of break this down. The son of man. This is a title often given by Jesus. He himself called himself the son of man. Mark chapter 13, 26, which I just read. Then they will see the son of man coming in clouds. And so this is a fulfillment of Jesus' own words and his own title that he used as Son of Man. And this emphasized his humanity, his incarnation, God with us. And God became a man, died for our sins, rose victorious over death uh, for the penalty of our sins. So he, this image that, uh, that John is seeing, the Son of Man, is Jesus. So there should not be any doubt about that. And it says that he has a golden crown on his head. Now there's two words for crown. One is a more of an athlete's type of crown. One is for a military type of victor. And so the word for crown here is Stephanus, which is a victor's crown, which means that Jesus was victorious and is victorious. And so this shows that Jesus had overcome the penalty of sin, which is death. And he also had fulfilled his mission, and now he would come again to judge the world. So only the victorious Christ can do that. Then it says, and he had a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, a sickle is not something that we typically use today. We have a lot more modern ways of, of doing the harvest. But the sickle is basically a long, uh, curved blade that they sharpen. And it could either be handheld where they would get down and, and sweep, or it could be on a pole where they would just take the pole and sweep it across. Either way, just a swipe of it would cut a, a swath of, of whatever it was that they were harvesting. And this basically represents a grain harvest. And when you look at it, it talks about, you know, uh, this is going to be the grain harvest, and later on we're going to see a harvest of grapes. But 
Then verse 15 picks up and says, And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Now, Jesus doesn't need permission, but God is using his angelic messengers for our benefit to say, It is now time. And he's telling his son Jesus, Now is the time. And so this angel gives Jesus, the son of man, instructions to put his sickle and reap the harvest of the earth, for it is ripe. Now, the word ripe is used twice in this passage. In verse 15, the word ripe actually means overripe. It means that the grain had been standing in the field too long and it had actually dried up. Now, why would that be important? Well, if you go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says... The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some can count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so God has delayed his judgment until he cannot delay it anymore. So the grain has been sitting there knowing that it's, it needs to be harvested or reaped. But God has been very patient, giving that last opportunity for salvation. But when the time comes, there's nothing that's going to slow it down or stop it. And if you go to that very next verse, verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 3. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So on one hand, God is being patient, waiting as long as he possibly can. He knows the time. Uh, for, for mankind to, to not perish but come to repentance. But when that day of the Lord comes, it will come like a thief. Nobody knows when it's going to come, but when that time comes, everything will come to judgment. And so now Jesus has taken his sickle and he has reaped the earth, the overripe grain. Uh, basically what this really represents is what's about to happen, the seven bowl judgments. The seven bowl judgments are basically a series of plagues that are going to be cast out upon the people in quick, rapid succession. This is not going to be a long, drawn-out period of time. And so many believe that Jesus reaping the earth is what is about to take place, this, this plague. This, it's an act of judgment against the people. And so now the, the harvest is done in ver verse 16. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was reaped. So again, I believe that this is talking basically about what's about to take place that leads to the very end judgment, which is the, the seven bowl, uh, bowls of plagues. And then we look and we see that uh, these plagues that will soon take place will be a reminder of what took place in Egypt trying to get the people, uh, trying to get Pharaoh to say, yes, let his people go. But then verses 17 and 18 talk about two more angels. Verse 17 says, and another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters for, from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So we look and we see these two angels. One comes out of the temple in heaven, 
having a sharp sickle. Now, the temple in heaven, you know, the temple on earth was simply a, a replica of what, what God has in heaven. Now, in heaven, my personal opinion, John is seeing the presence of God. He's seeing where God reigns. He's seeing where Jesus has been at the right hand of God. Uh, angels are created beings of God. And they are his instruments of message and wrath is what we're seeing here. So angels have appeared as people, but only for brief periods of time, just like the angels sat on the stone uh, when the women went to the tomb. And they said, we know who you're looking for. You're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He is gone, just like he said he would. Go and tell his disciples. And so the angels come as messengers. They came to Mary and Joseph and to uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, you know, there's appearances of angels, but they don't ever come and just stay. They're, they're, spent, they're sent for a specific reason, for a specific time. And so angels are always messengers of God, and they are separate created beings. Satan himself is an angel. He fell away from God because he wanted to be like God. He wanted to actually take God's place. And he convinced basically a third of other angels, to follow his suit. And if you remember just a few weeks back, we dealt with uh, Michael and his angels defeating Satan and his angels and casting them out of heaven for the final time. And so angels have a very unique place in, in the ministry of God. But these two angels, the first one comes out of the temple and he is given also a sharp sickle. Then another angel has the power over fire. Now, without getting too far ahead, when you get into the, the seven bowl judgments, the fourth angel, his bowl, he represents fire. So could this be that angel? Maybe, maybe not. We really don't have anything definitive. But either way, this other angel calls out and says, put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. Second time the word ripe is used. But this time it's not overripe. It is at the prime. It, the earth is prime for this judgment. Now, if Jesus' reaping is for the overripe because it's too much time, or the perfect amount of time, but basically God has waited and waited and waited patiently for redemption. And now has come the time. All those people for all those years have had plenty of opportunities. And so Jesus reaps the grain harvest. But now what we're seeing here is a different harvest. This angel reaps a prime cluster of the vine. It means that it is perfectly ripe. It is the exact time that God has chosen for this final act of judgment. Now, what does this Represent Well, you've got to kind of look on and read a little bit further and see what happens to these grapes. Well, they're, they're thrown into the wine press. But what comes out, sure what in wine, is blood. Okay? If you read way on forward in Revelation 19, you get to what's called the Battle of Armageddon. Guess what is described there? Almost the same exact same thing. So basically what we see is that here in Revelation 14, 
this second harvesting is basically a, a picture of the Battle of Armageddon. And we look and we see that uh, this will take place. Now, Jesus comes and with the sword of his mouth, he will slay all those who have rejected him. And the blood will rise and rise and rise, just like we see here. Now, I know it sounds gross, gross but judgment's not going to be pretty. Now, will this be physical or is this an imagery? Doesn't matter. Judgment's going to be judgment. Because judgment of those who reject Jesus will not just be a, a sickle coming along and cutting you, putting you into a wine press and squeezing all the blood out of you. It will be torment forever and ever and ever. So that's what we dealt with last week, the final judgment. So we look and we see this as a representation of the battle of Armageddon, that God's timing that he has already set on his calendar will take place. The angel swung his sharp sickle in verse 19, and he gathered the clusters of the vine of the earth, threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. This is not the physical winepress. It is a picture of the wrath of God getting his judgment against those who rejected him. Again, if you look at it as a result of the battle of Armageddon, the sword of the mouth uh, of Jesus will come out and slay all those who have opposed him. And this is the wrath of God. We look in verse 20. It says, And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the bridles, horse's bridle, for a distance of 200 miles. Now, folks, 200 miles is a long way. Now, I did a little calculation. Now, I... I like to go big. Okay, if you're right here and it spreads 200 miles, is it in just one direction? I think it goes out 200 miles in a circle. Four feet deep. That would be 4.67 trillion cubic feet of blood. But we look at this and we see that uh, why are angels used to reap? Isn't it Jesus who's going to bring judgment well, if you understand the scriptures, the scriptures use angels in many different ways. And even the foretelling of this in judgment, they are mentioned as reapers. Matthew chapter 13, verse 39 says, And the angel who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest in the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. And then also in Matthew 13, verse 49 so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked among the righteous. So even Jesus has shared that the angels will have a great place in this judgment. Now, my personal opinion is that we know that Jesus, through the mouth, uh, the sword of his mouth, which is the word of God, will slay all those at the end judgment, at the end of time where the battle of Armageddon all these nations and armies will come against him. We may be there to spectators, but we won't have any fighting to do. Because Jesus, through the sword of the Spirit, the mouth, his mouth, the sword of the Word, will slay all those who stood against him. And when we look at this, no angel's going to be needed to slay them, because Jesus will do that. So my picture is that 
as this says, and they shall come forth and take out the wicked. I think they're going to be the ones gathering those who have been slain by the word of the mouth, the word of Christ coming out of his mouth, the sword that comes out of his mouth. So we look, the wine press is the wrath of God. Not a physical wine press. I really, I may be wrong, there may be 4.67 trillion cubic feet of blood one day. But it says that the wine press is the wrath of God. If you go back to what we just studied earlier, it says that there will be fire and torment forever and ever and ever. This is the end result of the judgment. So all we know is that God's wrath will come at that moment. And there will be no opportunity for salvation. But we look and we see that uh, the angels are going to be a huge part of what happens in Revelation. Jesus will come again and he will from the mouth of, uh, sword of his mouth, will slay all those who will stand against him. There will be a great judgment through the wrath of God. The wrath of God is pictured by this wine press. And the end, again, before it takes place. We're seeing a picture of what's about to take place. I believe that the first uh, harvest, the grain harvest of Jesus, represents the, the uh, seven bold judgments that are about to take place, the plagues that are about to come, and they're going to come in rapid order, and they're going to be intense. And there again, one more opportunity for those who are, have rejected God, rejected His Christ, to come to salvation. However, by this time, they've had the 144,000 witnessing to them. They've had the two witnesses witnessing to them. They've had the saints who have come to salvation, witnessing to them. They have had uh, three angels with messages. One of them was a gospel of Christ that was witnessing to them. They've had every opportunity to repent and to come to salvation. To me, every moment, their hearts are getting harder and harder. Many of them, more than likely at this stage, have already taken the mark of the beast. And according to the scriptures... If you take the mark of the beast, you cannot be saved. Because it says, those who kept from taking the mark of the beast can receive salvation. We talked about this a little bit the other day. Um, many people will take it because they think it makes life easy. And they don't believe that there's going to be another life. So let's just get on easy street as soon as we can. And we can buy, we can sell, and we can live comfortably. Because we are worshiping this idol. Or if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and you follow him, then you refuse to take the mark of the beast, and you suffer now, but you have eternity in paradise with God versus easy street for at most three and a half years, and then eternal torment forever and ever and ever. So... There are a lot of people that don't believe that there's anything past death. They believe that everything is what we see here on earth. That when they die, they just cease to exist. And so their whole mentality is, how can I make life easier? And if the second beast comes up to you and says, we have made a, an idol of the first beast, the Antichrist. He can speak and he can act. 
And if you'll bow down to him, if you'll take the mark of the beast, either on your right hand or on your forehead, then you can buy, you can sell, we will take care of you. And so the people who don't believe that there is a God, they don't believe that he has a son Jesus who died for their sins, they don't believe in eternity. This guy, we, we have dealt with this in between times. Okay, we had the, the seven seals that were broken. Then we had kind of a, a dramatic pause there before the seven trumpets. The seven trumpet judgments have come. Now we have had a rather lengthy pause. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 basically are the in-between the seven trumpets and what will be introduced next time, the seven bowl judgments. And so in these chapters, uh, we basically have the uh, chapter 12 describes the main characters of the tribulation. We have the woman that represents Israel, out of whom uh, came Jesus the Messiah. We have the red dragon, who is Satan, who is uh, focusing on his attack of the Jews during the tribulation, as well as those who follow in obedience to Jesus. Then we have the child, who is Jesus, the incarnate of God, who came as a man. He is the one who died for our sins, defeated the power of Satan over us by overcoming the guilt of our sins. Then we saw Satan and his angels forever cast out of heaven as Michael and his angels defeated them. Then we moved to chapter 13. We saw things from Satan's viewpoint. Everything's pictured from Satan. Satan was standing on the shore and he saw a beast come up out of the sea. And this beast is the Antichrist. Then he saw a beast coming out of the earth. And this is the false prophet. Together they make up what we call the false trinity. Satan desiring to be God, the Antichrist desiring to be Jesus, and the false prophet acting like the false Holy Spirit. Then we come to chapter 14, and it began with Jesus and the 144,000 sealed Jews standing on Mount Zion, and we see them as a time of worshiping in heaven. So we look at this, and now we've kind of completed that dramatic pause of chapters uh, 12, 13, and 14. Next week as we get into chapter 15, which is the shortest chapter of Revelation, we see basically an introduction of what's about to take place. He introduces the seven angels who will have the seven bowls, who are the seven plagues that will devastate those who remain on the earth. So y'all can read ahead so that you know what's going to happen, and we'll discuss that next week. All right, let's go ahead and have our time of prayer. Lord, we're so thankful for the love that you have for us. And Lord, we do know that there are many people, even in our own community, Lord, that that have no clue about the judgment to come. Or Lord, they've heard about it, but they don't think that it is meant for them. They think that they're good enough so that you will welcome them into your heaven. Or just because they're better than a lot of people, Lord, there are so many that have outright just rejected you. They've heard the gospel and they say, it's not for me. Lord, you have us here for a reason. And Lord, you've given each one of us specific gifts and abilities. Lord, you've enabled us to find ways to to minister to the needs around us. Lord, it may simply be going to a neighbor and Introducing ourselves, inviting them over for a meal, 
or finding out that a neighbor is going through a difficult time and, and providing a meal for them and uh, ministering in whatever ways. And as we do so, we share that we are doing so with the love of Christ and that we would love to share more about his love for them. Lord, open up the doors each and every day. Help us to get involved with our neighbors and our community. And Lord, even if we're standing in a, a line ready to check out, maybe strike up a conversation with somebody and just find out simply, are, are they faithful to the Lord? Do they attend a church? And Lord, help us to find the ways. Give us the words to say and the right heart and spirit to say them. Lord, may we be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.